0: Right, hello, welcome to a very special edition of the Big Football Podcast. Um I'm joined today by the Liverpool where's Dave Usher. How are you, Dave?
1: Yeah, not too bad, thanks, mate. Yourself?
0: Yeah, I'm not not too bad. As as you can probably tell I'm full of a cold for the third time in as many weeks. Yeah. But um yeah, there we go. It's the time of year. Um, Dave, we, we tried this probably about about five weeks ago and um the outlook on a few things is now very different to uh, to what we discussed that day. We were talking about our um, our lack of transfer activity at the time, but obviously since that conversation we brought in Thiago and Yota um, like, on consecutive days. Um, yeah. Were you largely happy with with the squad by the end of the window?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know you were a little bit concerned about Needing another centre back, which obviously now that is a glaring issue. But I was I was fine with it at the time, and I think you know a lot of that's hindsight now because no one could have anticipated Virgil being ruled off for the season. But um, no, I, we did everything that that I wanted us to do. I mean, to be fair, for me it was just one signing would have done me. I, I just wanted another alternative to Salah and Mane. If we could have only had one player not specifically saying Jota, but that profile of player is what I wanted. Somebody who can who can do the job that they do without there being a massive drop off. And uh, I think we've seen so far, I mean he's still he's still bedding in, he's only going to get better, but he's been great so far. And uh that's not even mentioning Thiago, who like in the little glimpses we've seen so far, obviously he's he's world class so yeah the squads i mean we lost a couple of players but you you've got young players coming through to replace them That you know like Curtis Jones Nico Williams um the squad was fine and then you bring in Thiago. Uh, that's just like the icing on the cake really not obviously it's not, it's not worked out too great uh the center back situation but that's something that's going to have to be addressed in january now
0: yeah it's it's most unfortunate that we're in the situation with the um with with the Virgil van Dijk injury, which we'll, we'll come back to later because I think we've both got a lot to say on that. Um, my, my concern yeah. in getting an extra centre-half wasn't van Dijk, ironically enough. It was that we can't depend on Matip, who has missed the last two games, and Gomez to stay yeah. for for long periods of time. Now, since, since van Dijk's um, injury, we've played Ajax and Sheffield United, both difficult games. I actually think Joe Gomez has stepped up And if he continues that, then him and Fabinho could be a a good partnership. But I I do think that we we lack something in midfield when when Fabinho doesn't play.
1: It depends who we're playing. I mean, most games, you know, Fabinho missed, what did he miss last year? About two months. And Henderson stepped in. And actually, I mean, Henderson wanted to play as as the number eight because Fabinho was so good. So he, he goes to Klopp and he says, look, you know, Fabinho's great. Let me play further forward. But I thought when Henderson went back to play in the six, when, when Fabinho was out, that Henderson actually played better than Fabinho did. He, he was that good. So I'm not worried about um, Fabinho not being in midfield. Uh, but what I think it comes down to, you, you, the problem that we've got is Joel Matip. Because to me, Joel is probably the second best centre-back in the league when he's fit and he's available. There's only Van Dijk who I'm taking over Matip ability-wise. The problem is reliability. Now I know you wanted the centre back because Matip's unreliable. Gomez has had injuries as well, and I get that, and I don't, I don't dispute it. But my my argument is, if you bring in another top centre back, I mean that stuff of talk head, Let's just say Kula Bali, that's who everyone always talks about. Not realistic, not going to happen. But hypothetically, if you were going to bring in somebody like that, the problem is you can't sign someone in case of injuries, if you sign in, he plays, and then you've got what happens to Joe Gomez. Joe Gomez is like seen as like the future at that position. You don't really want Joe Gomez marginalised, so you want Joe Gomez playing a lot of games. Now, if you've got Van Dyke and Koolabaly, then Joe Gomez is not going to play as much, and you're you, you hampering his development. So it's a, it's a difficult balancing act. Now, realistically, I think what we have to do and this is why I didn't want to sign anybody the summer just, just gone, because we've got Joel Matter. As much as I love Joel Matter, he needs to go at the end of the season and we need to bring someone in to replace him, somebody who's going to be reliable and you can count on, you know, they're going to be fit, they're going to be there every week. Because that's not Joel Matter. It, it, throughout his whole time, yeah, he's just had like one injury after another. I mean, he's almost Daniel Sturridge-like. But when he plays, he's, he's top class, and that's the problem. But while he's here, I don't think you can go out and sign another top centre-back while you've got Joe Gomez as well. So that That was the balancing act that Klopp had. And he's looked at it and gone, well, I've got those three. Yeah, Matip gets injured quite a bit, but Virgil's never injured. And then I've got Fabinho who can slot in and, and do like as good a job as anyone. So he's looked at that and, he, and Thiago coming in, in a sense, you could even argue that Thiago was the Lovren replacement just because it freed up Fabinho to drop into defence if he was needed. So I understood why all that that went down and some of that made sense to me. But now, it, obviously, it looks like a mistake because Van Dyke's injured, but you just can't legislate to, you know, Mr. Indestructible, a player who's, like, never been injured. And then, you know, a freak incident like that happens and he's gone for the season. But you can't buy players on the basis that or oh, well, what if he does his ACL and he's out for the season? You just you can't do that because if you if you're operating that way, then you'd be like, okay, we're gonna to have to sign a fantastic goalkeeper just in case something happens to Allison. Not realistic. A fantastic goalkeeper is not going to come in and sit on the bench. So it is. It's 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 a difficult balancing act. And I don't think there was anything wrong with how we approached it in the summer. But saying that, when January comes, we're gonna to have to sign somebody because. You can't be relying on on Mathut, Gomez and Fabinho for the whole season. It's just, it's, it's there's so many games. Even if they don't get injured, there's so many games. You've got to rotate them anyway. And we've not really got the options. You know, we've got a couple of really good kids who are not ready for, for that absolute top level. And then you've got Nath uh, Phillips, who's... Steady, you know he's he's solid. He'll he'll maybe do well against the physical sides because he's good in the air. But you wouldn't want him playing, you know, more than a couple of games, really. Ideally.
0: Yeah, I think you've you've really described the problem that Klopp has there. So would you? I mean, we we, we all know that January is not the best for for value. W- would you say that we'll be looking at spending? Perhaps next summer's budget on a top-class centre-half, or do you think we'll be looking towards the like? Let's let me just say, Kabak from from Schalke, who we we think could become one in time.
1: Yeah, it depends on on the on the fee. Um, I think we're going to have to do something now. Maybe you look at a stopgap, someone who can just come in. It's highly unlikely that you get like a loan deal, but. I mean, somebody like Rudiger, maybe. Maybe Chelsea would want to get him off the wage bill till the end of the season. You could maybe get him in on loan, or whoever your targets are for next summer in terms of centre backs. Which, as you say, Kabak presumably he will have been on the list. Uh, maybe the lads at, at Leipzig, is it um, centre back at Leipzig, or is it he's at one of the Red Bull teams it, anyway? It is, I yeah, can't remember which it's, one.
0: It's Uppercampo, up, I believe it's pronounced from from um, Leipzig. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it may, maybe you, you do that deal, you, you bring that forward from the summit, and now, if that's who it is, who we want it, I mean, none of us know who it is, who they've targeted, who they want, but whatever it is, they've got to try to do their best to get that deal done in January. And if it means paying a bit more, so be it, because it's you, you can't really be quibbling over, like, you know, five, six million, whatever, 10 million even, when you look at the stakes that we're playing for. I mean, if we're... We're still right up there. Come January, and, you know, we're top of the league or we're second or whatever. You know, within a few points of the leaders, whatever. However, it, it plays out. If we're right in contention for the title, the, the prize money alone, you know, it, it, you'd more than make that back if you sign someone, and that, that's the thing that helps you win the title. Not to mention the Champions League as well. It's you've got to just take the plunge and pay a bit extra if if, if necessary. And um, but in terms of who that is. I haven't got a clue because they play the cards really close to the chest. Um, but whatever it is that they're planning on doing, it needs bringing forward because we've got to do something in January. And we've just got to hope that we can get by until then with, with the players that we've got. And hopefully, Mata comes back and stays fit for... If, even if we can just get a couple of months out of him before he breaks down again. You know, it, it, We've just got to hope for the best, really, that we can get through until January until we can do something.
0: Yeah, even... I mean, it, like for the um, it, for the second half of the season, um, was when we won the, the Champions League, wasn't was it Matip who played like four, three or four months in a row, didn't he? And he was in great form. It was Gomez who missed out. Yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, the, the season before, it, it was Gomez who was undroppable. So the, like, they do both have them have it in them to have long spells in the team. But I, I think one one thing you can't legislate for is the amount of football we have to play. This season, um, it's felt like we. Yeah. I mean the, um, the, the League Cup's neither here nor there because we heavily rotate, but the Champions League is like every week for... Are they going all six weeks in a row? I think they are, aren't they? It's,
1: Possibly, uh, yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but um, I know that uh, the, the saying that we're playing basically every three or four days now for the next few months. So, yeah, presumably they, they are doing it that way. But, you see, that's the thing. If... If we can just get the first four games won, and the last two games you can you can throw Nath Phillips in, or, or actually I don't think he's registered in the squad, so you can't. But you know you play Reese Williams in that game, even if you put one of them alongside him or whatever, it doesn't matter. Just get qualified from the group, and then the last two games are dead rubbers. Don't even worry about what happens in them. Uh, but we've 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 had that situation the last few years where I have thought, okay, let's just get qualified. And then we can rest players, and we've blown it, we've ended up having to go to the last game to, to, to secure qualification. So we've not had the opportunity then to rest and rotate and bring in like the likes of Shaqiri and Minamino, and players like that. Curtis Jones getting them, you know, much needed um, game time. So hopefully, you know, when looking at it, it's it's um, we've it's the Atalanta away games to one. Uh, or is it home do we play them home or away first whichever one if we beat presumably uh, we beat the uh, the Danish team twice hopefully and then it just comes down to getting that Atalanta game one and then it doesn't matter what happens in the last two games then and yeah. that's the opportunity then what, what you've got to best players we
0: we, we go to Atalanta first sorry Atalanta first yeah
1: well that's the one but, but Atalanta away is the that's the the most difficult game, really. I was I Ajax away it was probably the most difficult. But what we've got left, Atalanta away, that's the key. If we get a win there, then we should be able to just uh, rest people for the, the the last two fixtures, which helps the squad and it, you know it, it gets people a game who need it, and you can rest players who, who need a rest. Especially if it's going to be the centre backs because you know the the good thing is the centre backs do less running than anybody else. So you'd rather be stretched at that position maybe than midfield because we rotate the midfield game by game anyway a lot of the time. You know, There's usually at least one change in the midfield and it's needed because of the amount of running that they do. But at least with the centre-backs, you know they're, they're not going to be particularly tired. But because of the, the injury history of, of Gomez and in particular Matt, if you you do worry whether we're going to be able to get through to January without any more injuries.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is a massive concern. With that being said, though, Dave, one of the things that people can point criticisms at Klopp for, and there aren't many, is maybe our away form in Europe. I was really impressed with how we got through that game on Wednesday at Ajax. It would been a, couple, a difficult couple of days for us. We'd been robbed in the derby, and again, we'll we'll go back to that later, in more sense than the result. Um, and we go and keep a clean sheet at Ajax away from home, score a pretty poxy goal but toughed it out I thought that was a really good reaction
1: yeah I mean it's what we needed because after the derby if we'd have gone to Ajax and won 4-0 yeah it would have been great and we'd have been made up but I think that was again game that the way that went down was probably more beneficial to us in the long run because I think we needed to be able to show we can grind it out without Virgil and we can keep a clean sheet and then we followed it up Sheffield United was was another you know, it wasn't especially convincing, but you, you see the character and, and just the desire to just get the job done. And I think it, you know we bounced back really well from from the derby game, um, but at the Ajax game, it's weird away from home in Europe. I don't know why, but we've struggled. You know, especially in the group matches over over the last few years. You know, when you the season when we reached the final and we lost to Real Madrid. That year, it felt like it didn't matter who we were playing and where we were playing. We just went out and we were just spanking everybody. We were just scoring goals left, right and centre. And then ever since that season, we've made hard work of it away from home. I have no idea why that is. It's not that we've been particularly unlucky either because some of the performances have been wretched. Um, We've had some other games where we probably deserved more than we got as well, but generally we've, we've just not played well away from home. The Ajax game wasn't a vintage performance, but I thought I thought we played relatively well. We deserved to win the game, as you said, it was total fluke of the goal. But we did have other opportunities. Showed a day to be fair. Adrian always looked like he he was he was going to do something calamitous at any moment. Did make a couple of really good saves as well, to, to be fair to him. Um, but yeah, clean sheet away went in Europe, you can't really ask for any more than that. It was a perfect response to a difficult week.
0: And then. Of course, we we had as, as you've, you've mentioned, we had the, the difficult game yesterday at home to Sheffield United. Um, whilst like the the performance wasn't great, as as you say, it was the it was the mentality monsters again. It was just a, okay. We're not playing well this half. We'll we'll deal with it second half. And we did. The goal came at a good time. Second half, I thought we looked more the more dangerous. The two teams. Um, what we what are your thoughts on? the pay-per-view situation Dev. I, I know it's not something that um, most people like but like it, it's a complicated one for the Premier League wherein they feel as though they can't give away the product for free and I do have some sympathies with them on that, but ha- how, how do you feel about it and is there any way that you could conceivably see a system where you pay to watch extra matches working?
1: Not really I, I mean you look at what People pay for Sky and BC to then ask them to pay extra on top of that—it's—it's it's, no, it's beyond a joke. I understand like there's a certain logic to it where it's like, well, you'd be paying forty quid to go to the match. You can't do that at the moment, so pay fifteen and watch it on the telly. I sort of understand the, the logic why they're thinking that, but you're in the middle of a pandemic and and people are losing jobs and. You're asking them to fork out even more money, and it, it just feels like the tone deaf. If they'd have done it, maybe a five at a game. I mean, I still wouldn't have paid it anyway, personally, just on principle. But I think it, it, the biggest mistake they made was going fifteen quid. People just looked at that and were like, "What? Well, that's outrageous!" You know, maybe fifteen quid a month for when you get to watch all of the pay per view games or something. If it had been priced more reasonably. I don't think that there's been as big a backlash about it, but um, now I just think they made a, a a big mistake. They've misjudged the mood and and the way people have boycotted it and they're donating the money to food banks instead. It's like you know, it's only a matter of time before they just completely scrap it. But what I do, I read something. To be honest, I've not followed it that closely because all this stuff. It's the same with Project Big Picture and European Super League. I just can't just see the headlines, roll my eyes and just move on from it. You know, I, I'd rather just not even read about it because you, you just get sick of the whole thing. But I don't think it's necessarily Sky and BT ripping people off because there's been some, some suggestion that they're not even making money from it. The money goes to the clubs. And if that's the case, it's like... I mean, yeah, you're not you're not making money from gate receipts, and you've got to try to bring bring extra income in somehow. But you know that that's not not realistic; it's not feasible. And in terms of the second part of your question about is there a way of doing it? No, um, I don't think there is because you've got to split. You know, you're, you're going to have Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, the the biggest supported teams. It are always like the big draw for TV. You know, because they've got the most fans who are likely to pay. Those clubs have the attitude, why should Burnley and Everton and Crystal Palace, why should they get the same TV money as us when we're the ones bringing in the viewers and, and the money? So that would be their attitude towards it, whereas the smaller clubs I've got are looking at it the other way and saying, well, you're already richer than us, this is just going to widen the gap even more. So I just don't see there ever being any kind of agreement where that's that you know that it can be done like that um and besides you know people are already paying for sky and bt unless you scrap that and have one subscription where you pay and you get to watch all of your team's games fine but you're not going to get that because the tv companies all want a slice of it themselves you know sky aren't going to want to give up their premier league coverage so no, I, I just don't really see any way of them sorting that out. I just think the way it is now is the way it's going to be for a while.
0: Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I mean, in, in the middle of a pandemic, you, you shouldn't be asking people to pay out £15 the match. I think that the best workable solution, and it, it wouldn't be workable for everybody's, is one you've kind of touched on there, and, and it's something that I've said myself, were the old Premiership Plus Model of you pay X pounds a year, and you get every game in these kickoff slots as part of a subscription, and it's not paid. No, it's not pay per match. You can pay per match if you wish to do so. I think that's the best workable solution. What do you mean by you kick-off, off. kickoff
1: slots, though?
0: Like the. Uh,
1: uh, how
0: do you mean by the the games at the moment that are on pay per view are Saturday three o'clock. Saturday quarter past seven, you know, eight o'clock it was on Saturday because that was when we were yesterday. Yeah. And um, there's a game on at the moment, um, which is Arsenal against Leicester. That was a quarter past seven. So there's then three pay per view slots a week. It, look, it looks like to me anyway. Um, so you get like three games a week basically. That's the only solution that I could come up with, and it's not ideal because you still don't have to pay out money which you're already paying out on top of. Sky, yeah, and like. and
1: people aren't going to do it anyway, Dan. Because why why would you do that when you know maybe like two thirds of your subscription is going to be games like um, Southampton versus Sheffield United and Everton versus Fulham, and you know just like games that you're just not bothered about. You're not going to pay for those slots when your own team's only going to be maybe. I don't know, 15% of the time, if that, 10%, whatever, I just don't see that being feasible either, especially when you're already probably playing for Sky, BT, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's true, Dave. For for us in particular, because Liverpool happen to be live on Sky a lot, it wouldn't work out good money for for us. You're right, and there's just no easy solution to it. It's a very difficult problem to solve, but um, I am heartened to see big resistance against it. And I thought it was a magnificent effort by our fans and Everton fans last night to get £93,000 donated to food banks. Um it was yeah, more than that. has gone over
1: 100000 now.
0: Has it, has it ticked over to over 100000 Yeah, m- money
1: money kept coming in afterwards. It's over 100000 now.
0: That's um, an astonishing achievement. There shouldn't be a need for food banks in this country in this day and age, but unfortunately... There is so yeah, um, that's a, a magnificent effort. So I'm really really proud of of yeah.
1: that. Yeah, Leeds and Newcastle done something similar as well.
0: They did, yes. Um, Obviously,
1: not as much money because they haven't got as many fans as what we've got, but they they both had like significant amounts as well.
0: Yeah, um, you, you're, I, I think this is going to end soon. Certainly, someone from Sky has been leaking something to the, the Sunday Mirror today, judging by the quotes, and there were. They, they were speaking out against the pay-per-view system, which they they, they operate, so uh, I suspect... Um,
1: yeah, but like I said to you, though, I, I don't think it's Sky and BT who are driving this. I think they're they're like... They're the vehicle that's being used for it, but they're not the driver. Yeah, I you know, it, it looks like it's the Premier League's idea, which is obviously the clubs have been have all got together and said to the Premier League, "Look, we want to do this." And and so then they've gone to Sky and BT and said, "This is what we want to do." I don't think it was like Sky and BT choosing to do this and coming up with the idea themselves, but they're getting a lot of stick for it, and it's not really their their fault. You know, they they're like providing the service, but I don't think they're like the driving force behind it.
0: No, it doesn't seem to be the case. It does seem to be club led. Um, yeah, it's not not an easy situation for us to um, to get out of, to be honest. But I, I suspect in the next Premier League meeting, which I believe is in the international break, I would be surprised if we emerge with the pay per view system intact, to be perfectly honest. David, um, we could
1: get rid the we, we yeah, as well.
0: Well, that would would be lovely to get rid of VAR because I was just that was you've read my mind. Um, it kind of ties into the derby. We we couldn't like not chat and, and revisit the derby, but we also had another ridiculous VAR decision yesterday. Absolutely ridiculous! The decision to overturn a free kick awarded against Fabinho to to u- upgrade it to a penalty when it wasn't a foul and it was definitely outside the box. Um, as as you know. I've been an advocate of helping referees because I don't think any of them are very good. But I think VAR has really complicated matters and made things worse, if anything. What are your overall thoughts on it as a, as a fellow match-going fan?
1: hated the idea of it to start with was from the World Cup. Didn't like it then. Uh, when it got tested in the FA Cup, I hated it even more. I remember the West Brom game at Anfield. I mean, it benefited us that night, but it was horrible. West Brom scored, and, and the players didn't know whether to celebrate, and the fans were, like, muted. And I, I looked out and thought, West Brom have come to Anfield, and I, what was the score that night? It was, like, 3-1 or they 4-1 or 3-2. something mad. It was, like, a 3-2. and, and But they, they went into, like, a, a, a big lead, didn't they? And they had a goal disallowed as well. And it was, like, this is, like, probably, like, the, the best night of their lives, you know, it's not something that happens very often. Like they've gone to Anfield and and found themselves in that position, and you could see they couldn't enjoy it. And and I just I looked down and thought this is horrible. Although it's like it's not affecting us, that could be us next time. You know, we could be at Old Trafford and this could be happening to us. And you're not celebrating goals because you're waiting to see if you get disallowed. So I was dead set against it all along, and it's been actually worse than I thought. Which I didn't think it was possible that it would be worse than I was expecting, but it is. It's terrible it's like it's not made it better in terms of they're not getting more decisions right. what they're doing is the they're, they're making decisions now where it's like the the overcomplicating things like with offside it was like you, you looked at it and it's like he's level, he's onside, and everyone just got on with it. no problem, you know lives are not gonna make mistakes so you so you' bring in the technology to help, but when you're analyzing it to the millimeter and see my problem with it it's not it's not a case of He's on or he's off, which is what they're telling us. They're saying, look, it's, it's science. The technology will say he's either onside or he's offside. There's no grey area. There's a massive grey area because any really close decision, the guy in the VAR room, he can either make it offside or he can make it onside depending on what he wants to do because it's so easy for them manipulating those lines. I mean, on, on the Van Dyke one with the, with the penalty incident and he was given offside, the line, it's, it's like it's, it's almost on his elbow. Like it's supposed to be top of the arm because they moved it from last year where it was armpit. So you couldn't, your shoulder couldn't be offside because you can't score with your shoulder. Except now you can score with your shoulder, so they've moved the line. So Virgil wouldn't have been offside last season, and Mane's goal wouldn't have been disallowed last season because of the armpit rule. Now that that's been changed to top of the arm, but when you look at where the line was drawn, it's like the line's virtually on Van Dijk's elbow. And then you look at the line where the Everton defender is, and it's like it's not, if he wants to move it, like, say, two, three centimeters away from his heel, you can do that. And we're not seeing, like, a real close-up zoom in to be able to pull him up on that and say, that's not tight to his heel. So we can either do it in the middle of his heel or a few centimeters away from his heel, and then you manipulate the other line. And before you know it, You've got maybe like a decision where there's like twelve centimetres variation just based on what the VAR guy wants to do with the line. Because no one's ever going to convince me that Sadio Mane was offside on that goal. He just wasn't. That's because he wasn't. And, and whatever evidence they wanna they want to show, yeah, he just he wasn't. But if you want to move the lines to, to fit where you want them to, then you can make it that he's offside. And and based on what they did with the lines, technically he's offside. But it's it's the manoeuvring of the line, like a couple of centimetres that way, and then the other line goes a couple of centimetres that way, and then you've got the freeze frame when the ball's played. You know, it's just, there's too many variables where it's still in the hands of incompetent officials. Well, I say incompetent; it may be in some cases it may be more than that, like because that David Coote's antics last week were it was it was beyond belief to be honest. It's like you, you see certain decisions, and think how is that even possible? You know, like, like we'll, we'll get to the Van Dyke one now, the Pickford challenge, I suppose. I mean, I don't see how anyone can look at that and go, mm, not a red card. It's like, you know, it's a red card. So then you come down to the, the process where they're saying now. Oh, he forgot the rules. He thought because it was offside, that cancelled out everything else. Really? So if Pickford had just punched Van Dyke in the face, then he wouldn't have given a red card for that. Now, I know it's different. It's it's violent conduct as opposed to serious foul play. But that was serious foul play and violent conduct and common assault, whatever you want to call it. Like what, what Pickford did to Van Dyke, And Michael Oliver seen it. And he didn't give the red card. But I've got some sympathy for Michael Oliver there. Because the flag went up, so he's thinking, okay. So there's a, there's a penalty incident, there's a possible offside, and there's that challenge. There's too much going on here. VR, VAR's got to look at it to, to determine whether he's offside, and then I can make the, the decision on on the penalty and that. So then he knows it's a red card. But once VAR's looked at it and, and said to him, like, "Yeah, uh, no penalty. No, you know, just play on." He's like, "Oh." it kind of takes it out of his hands to a point. And he knew. There's no way. Michael Oliver is the best referee in the country. Now, he's not perfect, but he's by far the best referee in the country. And he had a view of that incident. He's seen it. And he knew it was a red card. But he didn't immediately pull out the red card because of the procedure. And then by the time that happens, it's too late for him to do it. And he's probably spent the rest of the half thinking, oh my God, that was a, a massive one that, that we've got wrong here. So when, when Richarlison goes in for that tackle, he couldn't get that red card out of his pocket quick enough because he was thinking, I'm not, leaving, I'm not leaving this to that fella. I'm making a decision myself. And then if he wants to tell me to go and check it again, then I'll go and look at the screen. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But you could see he pulled the red card out straight away. And that was after the whistle had gone. He'd give a foul a second earlier for a, an aerial challenge with Mane. He'd give a foul for that and Richarlison's gone in after the whistle, so there's no difference there in terms of the not being in play. But he pulled out the red card for one, and he didn't for the the previous one. So he was let down by the the VAR guy, David Coote, but Oliver himself should have just pulled out the red card to begin with and then, you know, let let VAR look at it then. But what went down there? I'm more angry about that than I am Pixar's challenge. I'm probably in the minority there, but as bad as Pickford's challenge was there's two things I'd say about that firstly that's how he plays there's something wrong with him he's he's like he's so impulsive and reckless it was only a matter of time before he did that to somebody he nearly got Belly alley last he, he, he year he's constantly he, he? charging out he did but, but he can't keep still time. he's he's got something wrong with him I am not. I don't mean that like disparaging him I'm, I'm not like insulting him I'm just stating what I believe there's, there's something, he's on the spectrum or something, because you just watch everything he does. He's manic, he's always hyped up and, and out of control, which is why he makes so many mistakes as well. His decision-making is just ridiculous. But, so he's just, he's not, I, I know we disagree on this, so now you know, you think it was malicious. I don't, I just think he's clumsy and reckless, and he's not caught, he's just dived out recklessly and he's caught Virgil. But I don't think he's deliberately gone to do him. The Charleston deliberately went to do Thiago. But those two incidents are chalk and cheese for me in terms of intent. But I'm not defending Pickford at all, by the way. What I'm saying is the problem I've got with that is not that a player's made a bad tackle and, and we've got a, a really bad injury out of it. It's the fact that the process is are in place to punish things like that and hopefully prevent it happening in the future. That failed completely. For Pickford to get away with that, completely, you know, Scott 3, it's, it's a scandal and, and somebody should have lost a job over it. And by somebody, I mean David Coote, because you cannot look at that, the video of it. You've got all different angles in front of you. You can see how horrendous that tackle was. You will not see a worse tackle. You just won't. When when you talk about like career-ending tackles, that's the worst challenge by a goalkeeper I've seen since Schumacher on Batiston in the World Cup. It, 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 was, it was so bad for him to have gotten away with it. It just, it beggars belief. And as I say, that was a fireable offence. David Coote should have been fired on the spot for not sending him off. No ifs, ands, or buts. That is a, that's a fireable offence. If any of us were so negligent in, in our job, if we made, like, a mistake so, like, egregious, unless we're a Tory politician... We're out of work immediately. Because certain, certain jobs you cannot get away with being that bad at your job without, without like there being some kind of you know being held to account. And what happened to him? He was out the next night, referee in Leeds. Yeah. No punishment whatsoever. Now, apparently, he was, he's been on the VAR every weekend. And apparently, this weekend, he'd been taken off. it. I read that. I don't know if that's true or not. But I read that. But seriously, that's his punishment. He
0: gets a weekend off yeah I, I think what what frustrated me is apart from everything that you said Dave what frustrated me the most about that was then you get to Monday morning and you get the usual um, statement from the FA saying it was seen and dealt with by the ma- match officials and therefore there'd be no like ban afterwards and it's like well yeah but in fairness
1: Dan that's the FA couldn't do anything they, they can't do anything if two referees have seen it and done nothing. The FA can't intervene. It's not. It's not within their remit to do that. So I don't blame the FA. I know it's a slap in the face, and it's it's really frustrating when you see it. But I don't actually blame the FA for following their own rules. The problem is the referees not following their own rules. That was the issue. Not not really. That's just insult to injury. Like literally, when when that happened, but um. No, I just, that was the thing that bothered me more than anything, was not Pickford's challenge itself, but the fact that there was no punishment. He got away with it. And I didn't want him banned afterwards. It doesn't benefit us in any way, shape or form. If he gets a three-game suspension, probably helps Everton. <laughs> because they've got that new goalkeeper, they'd probably put him in, and he can't possibly be worse. So a three-game suspension, it doesn't help us. I, I, the, we needed to benefit from him being sent off at the time. On the other side, if you think he's any good, whatever way you look at it, a three-game suspension, it either helps the teams who Everton are playing next, and those teams may well be, I don't know who Everton's Everton's games were, but let's say, for example, they were playing Man City. I I don't think they are, but if they were, our rivals would have benefited from from an incident against us. So whatever way you look at that, a three-game suspension wouldn't have helped us in any way. So I've got no satisfaction from that at all so I wasn't bothered that Pickford didn't get suspended afterwards I wanted David Coote punished not Pickford, I wanted him to be punished because we could get him again he's already cost us in the past he he, he didn't get the penalty against the, um, Burnley last season when Robbo got brought down and Robbo and Klopp both had a go at him on the pitch and we all seen that and then you can just picture him sat there in his VAR room thinking <laughs> yeah, I remember you having a go against Burnley, well how would you like this? Now, I don't know if that happens or not, but you couldn't rule it out because the decisions were just so like inexplicable. You just think something's gone on there, but he's got away with it. Pickford's got away with it. And now you've got Everton crying it in today, like Ancelotti saying, um, Dean, you got sent off because people have been going on about Pickford and it's not fair. Well, how about like, not have your players put in like you know career ends and tackles? And then maybe you won't get judged harshly by referees. You know, it's, if that is the case, which it's not, because that was a red card today anyway. But even if it wasn't and they were punished for what happened last week, well, yeah, you should have got punished last week, so don't be crying now that you are punished and saying it's not fair. It's not fair having Virgil out for the season, you know, him losing a, a whole year of his career when he's in, in the prime of his career in the best years of his career and he's having a, a whole season taken away from him because of, like, a, a scandalous tackle like that. That's what's not fair.
0: What made me laugh about Ancelotti's um, almost Moyes-esque better ranting was that he brought Richarlison into it, which was a, a really, really poor challenge. Thiago was very lucky that he wasn't seriously injured. He's missed games as well, so that's a that's a, a yeah. frustration. But at least Rich Richarlison was punished. But as you say, it just it's always the same. And yes, I have a reputation for complaining about referees. But what I've always said is there's no accountability, and I think this underlines it. He gets to referee um, Wolves against Leeds, and he should, he should be nowhere near a football pitch. He should be, at the very least, suspended. Because you can't just turn around and say, I forgot, because that's just not how football works. There's a set of rules in place. You follow well, he
1: didn't say that. He didn't say that, did he? That's the thing. Have we had an explanation for it? We've seen different newspaper reports with like uh, alleged explanations, but we haven't actually had an official explanation for it, have we?
0: Which is strange. And Liverpool did ask. The for The story a changed. To
1: vote it. Yeah, we, Liverpool asked for it, but prior to that, the story changed. Initially, you had uh, a journalist from NBC, I think, who'd spoken to the the referees' association, and they were told it wasn't looked at. And then British journalists were saying, well, no, we, they told us that it was looked at and he didn't see uh, red card defence. Then the next day, we're reading that it was because he forgot the rules and he thought the offside cancelled it out. So which is it? We don't know because they've not, they've not told us. There's not been an, an official explanation for what happened.
0: Yeah, we're still in the dark about that one and we're probably not going to find out now. But, um, yeah, I think um, Carlo Ancelotti has a cheek to, um, to complain about the red card today, given what his team was throwing in last week. Um,
1: Didn't take him long to turn into David Moyes, did he?
0: No, not, not at all, no. But I don't think we'd better say too much about David Moyes, because we play West Ham next week. Yeah. Uh, lest we have a, a, a no, out.
1: I just mean in terms of his the, the bitterness and, and just the attitude. Because I always liked Ancelotti, but the last week he's, he's shown us two colours.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm completely the same, Dave. Yeah, I, I, I've always had a lot of time for Ancelotti, but um, he's not helped himself at all this week with his comments about um, I mean, what's that red card got to do with Liverpool? Absolutely nothing. Um, so, yeah, very, no. um, very strange. And, and we had
1: all that garbage about uh, Rodriguez being injured by Van Dyke and he's missed Chain and he might not play. Did anybody believe that for a second? He gets what well, he gets fouled in the first couple of minutes of the game. Plays the rest of the game. It's not like he's hobbling around. And then they're trying to say, oh, yeah, it was a, it was a bad tackle and he's injured. And, oh, no one's buying that. Evertonian's lapped it up, but nobody else believed it for a second. And then, lo and behold, he's playing against Southampton.
0: Yes, he, and I believe he completed 90 minutes today as well. So, obviously, uh, a miracle, there you go. miracle cure. um the Chucking Miracle-Pios mm-hmm. out at Finch Farm. Um,
1: yeah.
0: If we then look ahead to um, the, the rest of the season, Dave, um, I won't ask you to make any predictions because it's a, a difficult place for us to be in, but how, how do you see us approaching games tactically? Do you think the, the formation from the Sheffield United game is here to stay, but we may play Thiago instead of Firmino, or do you think we will go... Four, three, three, or do you think we'll mix it up depending on our opponents or fitness? Do you think we might experiment with, with a couple of other things? Because we're not going to have our f- full team, the team that we envisaged at the start of the season, we're not going to see now because obviously Van Dyke's hurt. But um, we signed Thiago and he's not played too much either for COVID reasons or a shocking challenge by Richarlison reasons. Where, where, where do you see it us headed?
1: I think we'll mix it up. Um I think it'll mostly be four thirty three. The 3 four two three one, we tried it a few times last year and mixed results. It never really looked fluid. Uh, again in Sheffield United. There was there was some moments where it, it looked promising, but overall just wasn't quite our level of performance. I I think a big part of the problem is whenever we play that system, Firmino looks completely lost. It, it just drifts around and he can't get in the game and I think you know playing as the number 10 people always think that should suit him because he plays deep as a number 9 but it doesn't suit him he's he's really struggled whenever we've played that way now maybe it just needs time he needs more games to get used to it and figure it out I don't know possibly something he needs to work on in training if they're planning on doing it more but I think we're, we're better off um, with 4-3-3 mostly uh, in terms of how we play I think we might have to defend a little bit deeper with you know the the really high line that we play with. I don't think you can play that way when you haven't got Van Dyke there because nobody's going to outrun him. So you can defend on the halfway line, know full well if anyone gets in behind, he's, he's going to catch them anyway. Well, yeah, Joe Gomez is quick, but we haven't got the two of them there now. So if if they get in down Fabinho's side, for example, he's not going to catch them. Joe Masses quick enough but again you know i think you've just got to give them a little bit more of a cushion so if that means playing maybe 10 yards further back then i don't know maybe that's something that we we need to look at but i'm just not really comfortable with us playing so high up the pitch and we don't have Van Dyke there so it might actually work out well for us you know in that sense it might it might suit the players a bit more if if we are slightly deeper um because it wasn't working particularly well like the last few months, let's be honest, and we've conceded a lot of goals. So maybe a little rethink is needed. No, it didn't, but not even just that. I mean, even going back to once we come back after lockdown, I mean, I do think most of it's to do with fans not being in the stadium and players' concentration levels and, you know, the adrenaline's not flowing as much, and I think it's harder for defenders than for everyone else, because it's not just us that's conceding goals. I mean, Goals are flying in all over the place. And I do think it's to do with there being no fans in stadiums. It's like players are not on edge as much. You know, there's a little bit of complacency kicks in, maybe. Um, But I think with Virgil not being there, everybody's got to step up defensively now because the Aston Villa game, there's no pressure on the ball. The forwards weren't, weren't putting the work in. The midfielders weren't closing spaces down. It was too easy for Villa. So it's like... And there was other games where we've been sloppy like that as well. Now, everyone knows Virgil's not here. We're going to really have to up our game here. And the last couple of games, three games, because I'll include the derby in that, because he came on quite early in that game. Joe Gomez has been great. I think maybe this might might be um, the making of him, because he's always had Virgil there as the leader, and he just kind of follows. He just does his own thing. But now... Maybe Gomez is going to have to, you know, really step into a, a leadership role now. Um so maybe like this season, you might see him, you know, really step up and develop his game and become more of a leader. Uh, I think he's the last couple of games you can see that he seems to be taking that on. Uh, I thought if he helped Fabinho out quite a bit against Sheffield United. because Fabinho had some problems there, but Gomez was was often behind him, helping him out. So that's been encouraging. But it's not just down to the defence. It's like the whole team's going to have to be at it when we haven't got the ball. You know, focus, close down space, don't let people get at the defence. So, yeah, the responsibility, it's not just with whoever comes in to replace Van Dyke. It's everybody's got to up the game to compensate for them not being there. But the thing is, I'm not making predictions, but a lot of people wrote us off when that injury. It was like, oh, we can't win the league now. I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. Man City haven't got Van Dyke. Arsenal haven't got Van Dyke. Chelsea haven't got Van Dyke. None of these teams have got Van Dyke. Well, now we haven't. But does that suddenly mean that they're all better than us? No. We won the league by 18 points last year. Now, OK, we're not going to win it by 18 this year because we've lost Van Dyke. But it doesn't mean we can't win it. It doesn't mean we won't still be right up there. Losing Van Dyke hurts us, makes us not as good as we were. But the gap was massive between us and everyone else anyway. So all it does is just kind of evens the playing field a little bit if you like but we're a better squad now than we were last year because we've got Thiago and Jotter in there as well so I'm I'm gutted for Virgil, I'm absolutely gutted for him on a personal level that he's not going to be able to play and I'm disappointed for the team but I think the team will will find a way
0: That is something that we've become good at winning games in different ways it's like something that Paul Paul says, uh, multifaceted. Um, one one concern I, I do have, and it's an ongoing concern, is um, the fir- the the form of Roberto Firmino. He's not at it, and he's not been at it for a while. Do you see a situation where we maybe give him a few games off and go with um, more central because? Uh, Mo Salah has really started the season off looking in, in uh, the mood to get his golden boot back.
1: Well it was up to me yeah and I think a lot of people agree but Clock doesn't seem to have any any inclination to be dropping Firmino at all um, <clears throat> I think I mean, you're saying it's been going on a while, it has because there was a time when he was never substituted you just you did not take him off unless we're three or four nil up and you bring him off for the last 10 minutes and say put your feet up he was just never substituted you look last season it felt to me like he was getting dragged off every game after 65 70 minutes and it's it's carried on into this year it's you no know I was like saying to a couple of the lads before the game yesterday what's the over under on Bobby getting sub today I'm going to go 70 minutes and I'll take the under now it was a little bit more than that, but he did get subbed, and it happens every game. Now it's just and yesterday I don't think it was it was particularly anything performance related. It was just getting some fresh legs on, and um, to see the game out. But now he's just I don't know. He's had some good games. It's not like he's been useless every week, but there's no consistency there, just none. And it's not even just a lack of goals. I mean, you can live with the lack of goals when he's doing Bobby things. He's not even doing Bobby things anymore. He's just not really. He just seems to be passing the ball for the like the the opposition his like link, five Cup, six times a game.
0: Yeah, his link up players really deteriorated. I think, and I'm not. I'm not saying no. Oh, just
1: basic passes, ball. and he just passes straight to the other team. Yeah, it's and it's like, what are you doing now? Yeah, it really is.
0: And of course, it really hampers us because you could depend on him to pick out a good pass, and at the moment you just you just can't do it at the moment. He's not, not No, I mean
1: we know how important he is. So if he's not functioning, it affects everybody because he is such an important player for us.
0: It, it is nice to see uh, in, in for Firmino's absence of of goal scoring form, though that Salah has really started the season looking quite strong. Him, him and Mane, I mean, I, I would argue with anybody that Mane is probably our most important player, but um, Salah is banging the goals in at the moment.
1: Yeah, they they both look great to start the season. Mo's been on fire pretty much. He's, he's even games when he's not scored, like the, the Sheffield United. He was he still looked electric and he's causing problems for teams. Um, and and Jotter's really helped as well. You know, just giving us that extra option. So I I don't know. I mean, if you do play Mo through the middle, it changes the way you play because he he doesn't play the way Bobby does. So. Maybe like the four three one is only going to work when Mo's playing through the middle. I don't know whether we'll play four three three with a centre forward. I don't know um, because you have not really got any link up player. Then if you've got Jota, Sadio, and Mo, I don't know. Minamino is probably knocking on the door for getting a getting a chance in Bobby's place. The problem that he's got, he played in in the cup game and he wasn't great. You know, that was an opportunity to stake a bit of a claim and he didn't. So it's when he gets an opportunity, he's really got to take it because if he does, he's going to be putting pressure on Bobby because he, he does similar things. So you don't have to change the setup of the team if you play him. Whereas if you you bring in somebody else and you've got to change things around slightly because they're not going to play the same way Bobby does. Whereas, you know, Minamino will play like a similar style. So um it feels like it's between those two if we're playing four three three. Otherwise, change the system, play more centre-forward. As you said before, maybe Thiago plays as, as the 10, I don't know.
0: That's what I would expect. To, to, I, I'm I mean, Obviously, he wasn't fit yesterday, but if, if he's fit, we, we may try that on uh, Tuesday night. If, if if Thiago's fit, we might give him a run out against... Um and the capital. So, well, the Danish team has yeah. already diplomatically said.
1: Yeah, I, I stayed well clear about just calling the Danish team to be on the safe
0: side. You've, you've, in, in articles you've written, Dave, you brought up that um, the front three are down in terms of goals as God as every season has progressed. Um, do Do you think we yeah. still need a bit more from midfield?
1: Um, no, I just think the front three need to start scoring more goals again You know, you're not going to get well, maybe we will, I don't need, but I'm not banking on Mo scoring 44 goals again but he should be getting more than he got last year and the year before for that matter I feel like he should be getting 30-35 comfortably um, Savio's upped his, his output since that season when when he scored, I don't think he got like 100 between them or something um, but Savio, Savio's gone up since then But you know Bobby's fallen off a cliff He went from 26 goals Then I think the next season I don't know 21 or something And last year it was Yeah I mean Bobby's gone from 26 to 21 or something And then last year it was like I don't know It was 12 or something mad like that um, Maybe more than that in all competitions But it was like a steady decline Mo's numbers have dropped off uh, so it's just but it's the eye test as well you can see they're not they're not as electric as, as they were they're not as clinical uh, they still at the moments you know there's games and they look great but consistently over the season the 2018-19 for 19, 19, well, the season when we got to the, the Champions League final they were just incredible um, okay there's going to be a, an element of teams figuring us out a little bit and stopping us doing the things that we're good at. So that comes into play a bit. But I think it's more than that. I think, you know, it may be needed freshening up and Jota coming in now maybe gets everybody on the toes a little bit more. Um, But Bobby's struggling. You know, sadly almost after the season looking great. Bobby needs to, to pick it up now because if he doesn't, as much as Klopp doesn't want to drop him, eventually he's going to have to, I think. I mean, he scored against Sheffield United, so that, that's a start. I know it was a tap-in, but it doesn't matter. You know, If it, you can't be having a go at him for not scoring and, and then say, oh, it was only a tap-in. Well, great, it was a tap-in. I'd, I'd love him to score a tap-in every game. <laughs> that'd, that'd, be, that'd be fantastic. So, yeah, hopefully that gets him going a little bit, maybe takes a bit of pressure off him, because um, we just want to see him back playing the way we know he can. That, that's
0: it. I, I don't think anyone... I think like most most Reds think Firmino you know, is a very likable figure, but if he's not scoring goals and he's not setting up goals, then he's he's a bit of a problem. And I'm, I'm not picking him. I I really like Roberto Firmino, but his form has been a problem. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that you are right, Dave, that um, in 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 Yota it's gonna kind of set a, a few more you know like up up the pressure a little bit because with all due respect to him, what are we gonna do? Pick a Rigi instead? You know it it's not any kind of of yeah. adequate competition but when you spend the money that we have on Yotta and Yotta and is clearly a very good footballer from the little we've seen of him obviously there's we're going to be picking him a lot more
1: yeah it does make a difference because Firmino knew Origi was never going to be taking his place um, jotta might not take his place either directly but obviously it would be Mo moving inside but uh, there's Minamino as well we don't know I mean he, he might be looking great in training so That's more pressure on Firmino for his place if he sees Minamino doing great in training. He knows he's got to to be on his game because people are coming for him. You know, his jota wants to start. Minamino wants to start. Um, He might even change the system to get Thiago playing in in a more advanced role as well. So, playing behind two or three, whatever. So, there are options there. We've got so many players to choose from. I just think if, if Bobby's playing at his best. He's one of the first names on the team. It doesn't even, you know, there's, there's not, no doubt about that. But he's not been at his best for a consistent period of time now. And some people have said, oh, maybe it's tiredness he needs a break. No, he had like a couple of months off. They all did. You know, so it's, it's definitely not tiredness. It's, it's more than that. It's, I don't know, it's confidence or, I mean, he's gone away and done well for Brazil. So it's not like he's just got no form. You know, he can, he, and he he still produces the odd game where you think, "Yeah, that looked like the old Bobby." He's just not doing it consistently anymore, but hopefully, it's just a blip, and and he'll come back strong again. The good thing is, we've done so well, even with him not being at his best. You know, we've still won the league by eighteen points.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, I think as as I've mentioned in the past, and something that, that Paul the forum likes to say we we are good at winning games in different ways and yeah the the fact that we've not had the most functioning centre forward for probably about 12 months or so is a really promising so the last time i can remember Firmino having a Firmino game was the the game at, um anfield against newcastle last season when he he, he sent um, half of the back four for a, a copy of the echo
1: Played well against Atletico Madrid as well, didn't he? I know he scored. Did he play well? So, oh, yeah, I can't it, remember. To be honest with you, so long ago now.
0: It, well, this is—I mean—that's—that's that's a nice um, segue actually, because I was going to ask you for your, your thoughts on that game, but not necessarily for football. Um, when I met you before the um, the Atletico Madrid game, you know, we'd all probably kind of agreed that it was going to be the last time we saw each other for a while. Um, that was in. Um, March, it's now October and there's no sign of us being able to, to see each other at the game again, um, which is very sad for us all, you know, it's certainly it's one of my biggest aspects of my social life um, but rather more seriously however um, after that game um, you caught Covid Dave, um and you had quite, a, it, it wasn't quite long Covid was it, but it certainly affected you for a while
1: Yeah I was three weeks in bed um and then after that I was up and about but wasn't quite right. Um my wife was like much worse than I was, like um she's still suffering after effects from it now. But that game, like a quarter at that game. Um, I work from home so it's not like I've caught it in an office or anything, but you know, they've they've let like three thousand fans over from Madrid even though they weren't allowed to have games in their own city. They've let them get on a plane and come over here. Um, and it's no coincidence that there was a big spike in infections around that time um, that they let like 3,000 um, Madrid fans in. So um, I don't know how I got it. I didn't come into contact, direct contact with any um, Athletical fans. But a lot of people who went to the match that night caught it. So uh, we we'll never really know exactly how. But, you know, it's... Um, the time scale of it like you start showing symptoms four or five days afterwards well that's what happened to me and like by a week later I was in I was in bed just no energy could barely move just wanted to sleep all the time and was pretty much like that for three weeks yeah it was grim But I mean I can't say the game shouldn't have took place because you know it's easy for me to say that now but like I knew what was going on and, and I still chose to go to the game. So, you know, it's I chose to go to the game. So at the, the night before, um, the game in Paris with PSG Dortmund was played in an empty stadium. So I think you've got to take that decision away from the fans because I was going to go no matter what. You know, so if you've got to take that decision away. You would either say, like, it's getting played in an empty stadium or the sensible thing, what they should have done, was say, no away fans, I'm sorry but you're not travelling from Madrid because you your hot spot, the COVID hot spot, we're not letting you in, that, that's what should have happened, um, but it didn't and then, you know, it's it, it spread quicker in Liverpool because at that time, there was there was like a lot of people caught it at that match
0: well, my, my next question to you was going to be, should the game have been played but you've, you've answered it for me, what I will say is I was squawking for that game to be cancelled so we could get Alisson back and um, for it, yeah, um, but such things such things happened. Uh, and that that was probably I, I can't think of too many better performances than, than the way we played that night either. We ended up losing the game, incredible.
1: Yeah, that was a great game. It was a typical European night. Great performance. Great atmosphere. Yeah, it just didn't go our way.
0: Yeah, really, really unfortunate. We, we, we didn't we didn't deserve what happened that night, but um, unfortunately. That's uh, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. And hopefully we'll mm-hmm. get a chance to catch up with them um, at some point this season. Or maybe not. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we don't want to be drawing them, actually. Because maybe we're not suited. No,
1: I'd like to get them. I know what you're saying. They're the, the horrible to play against. But no, I'd, I'd like to get them. I want revenge.
0: Yeah, so so do I. I also fancy getting my hands on Real Madrid at some point as well.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. One more crack at Ramos before he retires. <laughs> yeah,
0: and um, as much as I respect them, um, Barcelona were no great shakes either. So, re- really, I- I'm not making any confident predictions of a, a romp to European glory, but re- really, there's not many, too many teams in that competition that we should fear if everyone's fully fit and firing. No, Bayern in.
1: Munich are top-class, though, aren't they? Yeah,
0: absolutely. They're, they're... Other than
1: Bayern Munich, nobody worries me, but Bayern Munich are brilliant, you know, but um, if we had Virgil, had us against anybody, take Virgil away, it'd be difficult for Bayern Munich, but um, it'd be a nice final us against them.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's a real possibility of it then if we don't make a porridge of our group, which we we have done over the last two or three seasons, as you've already said, we've made qualifying for it difficult. Um, just to... And if Alisson keeps
1: fit,
0: and if Alisson keeps fit, yeah, yes, yes, please. Um, that's a, a, an ongoing concern of mine, as you're well aware. Not his fitness to be mm. but um, as you say, it's very difficult to appeal to a, a good goalkeeper to come and sit on the bench. Adrian is about reserve standard. It's just that he just seems to make a lot more mistakes than everyone else's reserves.
1: He has to play more. That's the problem. He yeah, has to, to play more games than than, than you usually want your backup to play. Because if you look at it, the, some of the, the the backup keepers we've had over the last ten, twenty years, he's better than nearly all of them. To be fair, and I'm not saying he's any good, but he's better than he's like Adam Bogdan and Brad Jones people like that. He's miles better than them. So it's just difficult getting a, a really good goalkeeper to be your backup. The problem that we've had with Adrian is he's had to play more than you would have liked him to have played. If he just comes in for the odd game here and there, you maybe don't notice. But over an extended period of time, that's when you realise oh, he's actually not really that good.
0: Yeah, he, he, he started okay when when um Allison had that that two month absence last season. He started okay before suddenly uh, it, it was around about I think it was the Leicester game when he let a shot from James Madison just kind of squirmed through him he was at that point where when well, you'd done two or three daft things now, can we have Alisson back please, but he, he actually did okay for a spell and yeah, it's just a case of him playing more than, than, than we'd like, I'm, I'm harsh on him because I just want him to do better but it's a, it's a difficult sell a, a goalkeeper position on a bench is difficult to sell at a club like Liverpool Yeah, it is Yeah um, if we just we're getting towards the end here now Dave if we just switch to the, uh, the academy for a second um, with with Reese Williams there's another um, uh, product that's played first team football, um, do you think the academy's going to have a big role this season?
1: I don't have a big role but a lot of that's going to come down to injuries, you know, it, we may need to bring in something like the Reese Williams or you know Jake Kane Leighton Clarkson people like that but we're well off for midfielders so we probably won't need to bring them in but there's a lot of good players there I mean Leighton Stewart the striker he looks really good And I I do wonder if that was maybe part of the reason why they decided they could let Brewster go because you know maybe it's not he's not ready to come in now but maybe a year or two down the line they probably think you know we can bring this kid through because he, he, he looks so good so, yeah, there's there's loads of good players, but it's just really difficult finding the, the right time to put them in. It's easy putting them in for League Cup games and things like that, but it's getting them big games. I mean, Curtis Jones, that you can see they're doing everything they can to get him involved as much as possible. Uh, you know, he started against Ajax. Uh, he's, they're bringing him off the bench, and rightly so, but it's, Curtis Jones has been training at the first team for about four years. You know, I remember, like, he was on the pitch when we, we uh, the Roma game, when we got to, we reached the, the, the final, the game, the second leg in Rome, Curtis Jones was on the pitch celebrating at the end, so that's how long he's been training with the first team. so it took him a while to get to this point, so all the lads who are there now, you, you're probably looking two, three years down the line before they're in Curtis Jones's situation. But Rhys Williams has kind of come from nowhere, really, because he was on loan at the last year. But he was, when we won the Youth Cup a couple of years ago, he was like the Van Dijk of that team. You know, he was dominant and he'd come up for corners and he'd be scoring goals. And you could see he was just like a a man amongst boys. But obviously he was still a boy himself and they've sent him out on loan just to toughen him up a bit. And uh, he's... Come back, and he's been involved in pre-season, and now he's like in and around the squad. But that the problem there is, you know, centre back, a passing goalkeeper, centre back's the one position where you just don't have kids playing. You know, not not for like a top team, experience like is is the most important factor in that position, and that's why you rarely see like nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year old centre backs playing for top teams unless. You're talking about like a generational talent, like uh, you know Varane or somebody like that. He was he was playing for Real Madrid when he was a kid. Generally, you don't get it because it's so difficult at that position. Now, the irony is, Virgil's injury has opened the door for him to come into the squad. But you'd want him playing alongside Virgil because that's how it's it's easier for a young lad to bed in when he's got somebody like that alongside him. So that's you know it's on the one hand. It's it's benefited him, but on the other, it's probably going to be harder for him because he won't have the opportunity to be playing alongside Virgil. So I don't think we'll see too much of him, but it does look like he's maybe... Uh, I think he's he's behind Nat Phillips, actually, because, but the problem Nat Phillips has got is he wasn't registered for the Champions League squad, but he was on the bench against Sheffield United. So... I think maybe because he's 23, he's had a season playing in the German second division and you know, he's just a bit, he's more more experienced and physically he's, he's more developed. Rhys Williams is still, you know, I think he'll look completely different in two, three years than what he does now, you know, physique-wise. So, um, <clears throat> but I do think he will he'll get some games this season because... We're going to need to. You know, we're going to have to rotate at some point, especially if Matic gets injured again or, you know, if, God forbid, anything happens to Fabinho or Gomez. So, I don't know. But, you know, he's he's looked good in the two cup games he played. So, and the Arsenal game, he was playing against Premier League players that night. You know, Lacazette came on. He was with Ethan before that. And he held his own. He looked fine. So, if we do need to call on him, you know, hopefully he'll be able to rise to the challenge.
0: Yeah, ho- hopefully so. I mean, it's, it's always nice to see Academy products come through. Um, a name you've already mentioned him, but a name you mentioned to, to me a couple about about three or four years ago actually was Curtis Jones. Um, and I know he's very, very much a, a project we've all got our eyes on. Because, as I said, we all like to see local lads make it into the Academy and through the Academy into the first team. Not something that has been seen too often recently, but obviously Trent has has come along and now uh, Jones as well w- where do you think Curtis Jones' is best position is Dave?
1: Midfield you know, he, he can play in, in, a, in the front three as well but he's better in midfield definitely I mean it's, it's interesting actually with the 4-2-3-1 he might actually be perfect to be playing the number 10 if we do keep with that system I'd be interested to see him even like sort of a free roll to just roll him about behind the strikers 'cause I think that suits him. 'Cause the thing with, with Curtis, he always looks like he's gonna score goals. He's always like in the box, getting shots in and you know and and I think if you've got a midfielder who can do that, it's such a big advantage to have. So I think definitely midfield. Um and if we play that system, he's he's an ideal as a ten because he's not great defensively yet. You know, we're still learning that side of the game. And it's very complex how we play as well with the pressing and everything else. It, it takes a lot of a lot of getting used to, it and, and it's difficult to learn. Um, so, and it, it doesn't come natural to him because he's more of an attack-minded player. So I think that's the reason why he's not necessarily started as many games as as like as he would have liked. It's on the defensive side because going forward he's as good as any of our other midfielders, apart from Thiago, probably. You know, but in terms of creativity and that. It gives us something else, but it could be a bit of a weak link defensively. You know, people running off him. And uh, there was a there was a game, the Leeds game, I think it was. He came off the bench, and as soon as he came on, someone ran off the back of him and scored. And and he he played well that night. You know, he came off the bench, he looked really good. But that's the reason why he's maybe not going to be starting as much as he'd wanted. But uh, he's a fantastic talent. And, you know, I think he's not just going to be a good player. I mean, he looks like potentially like a superstar player. You know, he's got so much ability.
0: Well, he's already, I mean, it's international football, there's no indicator of ability anymore, but he's already trained with the England first team. I think it was the last two days of the that international camp he, he had a few sessions with the England first team, I believe. So, um, obviously, people from outside the club can even see how, how good he is. Because you've always said he's, he's um, far, far too good. I almost looked bored playing youth team football.
1: Yeah, he was too good. I mean, last year when he was playing for the under-23s, it wasn't fair. You know, I, I was watching them and I'm thinking, this is not fair to the other team. He's so good. He was just like, they couldn't get near him. It was a Champions League match, you know, the under-19s Champions League. I think it was Napoli at the academy. And he was he was unreal. He just completely destroyed them. It was like watching Messi, what what Messi does to teams. He was doing it at that level, you know, like at, at youth level. And you're like, this is not a test for him. He's far too good for it. But then he's training every day with the first team. So when he's going into these games, it's easy for him because it's training more difficult than matches. You know, it's the same for people like Nico Williams as well. He's he's training against money. So whoever he comes up against, he's not going to be scared. If he's training against Mane every day, trying to mark Sadio Mane and training every day, who is he going to come up against? That's going to make him think, oh no, I've got got my hands full today. So psychologically, the the players have all got confidence because they're training with such great players every day. So whoever they play against, it's a doddle for them. Like the derby last year, the FA Cup derby and everyone was going on about how well all, all our, our kids played. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if the training against, you know, the, the forward players are coming up against Van Dijk and, and Fabinho, and, like, the defenders are having to mark Salah and Marnie, there's nothing to fear when they're playing against Everton. And it showed. You know, they went out, they went out and played as, as though, like, you know, they were just established first-team players full of confidence. So that's the the beauty of it. Like, when, when you're bringing these kids in and have them training with the first team, even if they're not playing. You know, if Because if, like, Curtis has been training three, four years with the first team squad now. So it's only now he's starting to get games. But he's been playing against those players every day. So he's ready because of training.
0: And I, think, I think as well what must be a boost for our young players is a manager who will give them a chance if they're good enough and if they put the work in and if their attitude is right.
1: Definitely, because you look at, at Man City. I mean, they're giving kids a bit of a chance now, mainly because like they've not really got much of a choice because they had to curb the spending. Um, but <clears throat> kids are not really getting that many chances at, at top teams. But we've given loads of debuts, and okay, some of them has been in the cups. But that's the that's the, the platforms. Like if you catch the eye in those games, then maybe you get more opportunities to play. So, really talented kids now. Did you see a path to the team? Because we've not strengthened in certain areas purely because we've got a promising kid coming through. Like We could have brought a backup right back, but we didn't because we had Nico coming through, so we don't want to hamper his progress. So, they've not signed players in certain positions because we know, like Adam Alana left, there was like no, no inclination to replace him <clears throat> because Curtis was there. And that's the way you've got to do it. If these players are knocking on the door, create an opening for them. Don't don't sign a squad player just to put in in the in their in their path and stop them from progressing. Now the exception to that was was Rian Brewster, and um, but I never thought he was that good to be honest. You know, I I just I didn't see it because he's a good finisher, that like, really good finisher, but that's not enough. You know, to to in the past it would have been, and and in in certain Systems that we may have played, you've got a penalty box finisher, great. But the way we play now, he's not good enough to play in the wide positions because he's not particularly tricky or or quick. And although you could play him as as like a a number nine, he wouldn't be linking the play and dropping deep. So there was no place for Brewster. He didn't fit into how, how we play. It wasn't necessarily about ability; it was more about style of play. So I wasn't really surprised. I was surprised that we sold them rather than loaned them out. But essentially, that is a loan anyway, because if he tears it off at Sheffield United, then we want him back. The buyback clause is there, so they could get him back. But generally speaking, we're trying to clear a path for young players to come through. Um, But I just don't think there was a place for Brewster because of the, the way we play. He didn't really fit into that. Whereas maybe, as I said, maybe Leighton Stewart's a better fit. How we play, he's like maybe he's a more rounded footballer rather than just a great finisher.
0: I think that the Brewster deal, I think we touched on this the last um on, on the, uh, the TLW WhatsApp group that we have. It was a very good deal for both Liverpool and Brewster because 20 was it 23.5? I think it was, wasn't it?
1: Um, 25 wasn't it?
0: Was it 25? It, it's a yeah,
1: lot. I, it I don't know. Could be wrong.
0: It, it's a lot of money to pay for someone who, until yesterday, had never started a Premier League game. Um, and yeah. as, as you say, if he if he turns it up at, at Sheffield United, then we just turn around in um, two years and say, right, okay, we'll we'll buy him back for this price. And um, if he doesn't, then obviously we've made money. So. All's, all's good that's very, very smart transfer that I thought and, uh, what's, what's the name of the young lad so I can um, say that I heard his name first was it Leighton Stewart
1: Leighton Stewart yeah yeah, um, yeah he's uh, I think he's got 10 goals in 6 games this season or something like that so 2 at-tricks already really good player
0: sounds like another one to, to watch out for um, Dev it's been a really really enjoyable chat um therapeutic to get the uh to to cover the derby again um with a little less diplomacy than they needed to the last time um have you got anything that you want to plug certainly um everyone should hear about tlw
1: no just check out the website liverpoolway.co.uk
0: yeah there's a you've got got, uh, it's a very busy forum and certainly the forum was how i found the fanzine um that would have been what not long after Istanbul, so 2005, God, God me. that's gone quick, 15 years I've been using TNW yeah. now. I know. Um, Time flies, eh? It, it does, yeah. It does. Um, and your, your wife's got a, a cracking cafe as well.
1: Yeah, Mandrake in Ormskirk. Um Harry Potter shop, Magical Experience Cafe. So yeah, if you're in the Ormskirk area, check it out.
0: And an afternoon tea to die for i can personally verify that um yeah so yeah if um if you fancy checking out liverpool.co.uk uh, you can do and, um you do have um, memberships for your very good match reports dave um something that should not be overlooked um, you kind of have a a pop culture reference to your a, a pop culture approach to your um, match report, certainly most of the Sopranos references go over my head because I've never watched it, to your internal annoyance. you got what you're
1: missing <laughs> I, you I, need I, to get
0: I, on that what, what I do like about the memberships is you, you've got the, the full Monty, the something Monty and the, the bottom tier is the, the Stu Monty um, and Stu, Stu, Stu yeah. was actually um, a guest on, on an episode a couple of weeks ago and he, he did a really good job talking about how Covid has affected the um, his um kind of level of football his his semi-pro level of football and his, his university level very interesting chat that if you can go back a couple of weeks to check it out um just for for my own own plugs as well um i have two books out um and as we're coming up to christmas both mother russia and defcon one would make an excellent christmas gift if i may say so myself and um a lot of you will, will know me, um, but you'll you'll know David and you'll know the Liverpool way an awful lot better. Um but the Big Football Podcast is quite new and I'm looking to, to grow my listenership. Um I had a lot of people showing interest with the, the Stu episode. Um so if you could subscribe to the podcast I would really appreciate it. Do have weekly content with a, an Arsenal fan and a Manchester United fan who that might immediately put you off, but um, they're, they're both good football men. They both know what they're talking about. Otherwise, I would just just not interact with them as I do more than just United and Arsenal fans, to be completely honest. So, um, Dev, thank you very much for doing this. I've really enjoyed it. It's been very interesting and good to get your thoughts. My pleasure,
1: mate. Happy to do it.
0: Right, And... Um, The the Big Football Podcast will be back probably Tuesday, so you're probably going to be getting a a one-two punch on a Monday and a Tuesday this month. Sorry, this week. Um, And we'll be talking... I I have got an agenda, and believe it or not, VAR is on it. But we'll be talking about the the weekend. Of course. Of course. I mean, let's let's be honest, Dave. It's Um, not like you
1: to be talking about referees, Dan.
0: Well, you know, I've got a reputation to, to... to uphold Dave uh, and, and we're going to be talking about um, Marcus Rashford and what he's been up to this week and uh, how long has yeah. Scott Parker got um, the fixture pilot because we're playing too much football and anything else that comes up in the mad world of football because there's 24 hours the lock and a lot can change in that time Dave thank you very much it's been a pleasure and um, I will catch you all very soon hopefully